Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Witching Hour. I am Perry Nemroff. This is Haley Fouch. Hello. Haley, your hair looks beautiful today. Thank you. It's got some energy. I just took it out of a bun and I like what it's giving me, but um, it's so funny. By, by the end of the show, it will be straight. <laughs> I don't know. You, your hair, everyone who watches the show, The Witching Hour, really appreciates this conversation, but like your hair always freaking looks good. And it always looks so full and it always such a beautiful natural wave to it. You're too kind. You're too kind. Speaking from a place of jealousy. No, your hair is beautiful and so shiny and healthy. Okay. So yeah. should we just do like uh, 60 minutes of uh, hurling compliments back and forth? Because I'm fine with that. People would not mind in this current uh, mood we're all in. Um, I will tease. I'm not allowed to say what it is yet, but I can say it tomorrow. I just watched um, a TIFF movie that isn't a midnight movie, but it's like the ultimate feel-good movie. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was like the happy tears movie that I really needed right now. I'm so excited to hear your thoughts out of TIFF, whether it's midnight movies or not. I really found that Fantasia gave me a lot of like hope for the future of the film community amid these mm-hmm. tough times and the ability to still make things feel like a shared experience. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm curious to see if TIFF can pull that off too, because I was, I was deeply, deeply impressed by Fantasia. We've only scratched the surface thus far, but I, I'll give you an update once, you know, the full stretch of things is over to see how the whole thing, whole thing felt. Because right now it's, you know, it's different. It's still just the beginning, but I, and maybe it's because I'm not, fu- so it's like, you know, when you go to a festival, like you like live, breathe that festival for the yeah. entirety of your, like that is your thing. It's like when I go to Toronto, I am there for TIFF and TIFF alone. But I think it's because I'm also working from home that you know, my other assignments haven't really gone away. So I'm kind of like yeah. half TIFF, half regular releases. It's it's definitely not the same, but I was still very uh, invigorated and impressed by it. And it's it is a different workload, and I may have not balanced it the best, but we all are doing what we can. I think I'm suffering from that right now. I may not have gotten two nights, but it's fine. It's all fine. All right. You want to hit the first item on the agenda today? Yeah, we got a fun little assortment today because there's yeah. lots of cool uh, – I don't feel like this is a big week in terms of, like, there's one dominating horror thing that we're all one big release or one big story we're all paying attention to but there was lots of little stuff sprinkled in oh yes like we really have you covered with today's episode we've got some reviews some trailers and like some newsy stuff some cancellations some upcoming stuff that you have to look forward to and we're going to kick it all off with a review 
and it is for the babysitter killer queen. So first I want to tell you, Haley, I really liked the babysitter, the first one, the 2017 movie, the first time I saw it. Mm -hmm. And I've watched it since, but I was especially blown away watching it right before I jumped into Killer Queen. I don't know. It's like every single time I watch it, I feel like that script is tighter and tighter every single time. And I, I don't know, like everything from the uh, the movie references to the way that, you know, the big kill sequences are blocked and structured. It, it feels so well thought out to me that I feel like back in 2017, even though I gave it a positive review, that, that review should have had an even higher grade at the end. Yeah, I was just talking to Adam Chitwood about this today. I I really enjoyed that movie and I felt that people went kind of hard on it and I'm not super sure why, maybe because it was McG and he does like McG it up. That's undeniable. Mm -hmm. That script sort of had a really strong reputation. It was going around for years and um, I think it was on the blacklist for a while. Maybe I, my memory might be wrong, but it definitely was like a well-known unproduced script. Mm -hmm. And I, I totally saw that in the movie. I don't know. Maybe it didn't live up to the script's full potential. And that's why people kind of came down on it so hard. I really enjoyed it. I, I don't know. I mean, I do wonder if it's a hype thing. Because when I was thinking about my later reaction to The Babysitter, I had a very similar thing with Bridesmaids, where mm -hmm. I saw Bridesmaids. And I did really like it. But maybe because everyone was like, this is the greatest comedy in forever. I'm like, well, it's not that good. Let's pick this apart. And, this. and, and now I watch it over and over. And I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, why did I even dare to do that when the movie came out? This is a pretty close to perfect comedy. And... Mm -hmm. I really feel very strongly about the first Babysitter movie. I do not feel yeah. strongly about... Leaving, which is missing from this. Yeah. It, it, but it's it's not really just that. Um, <laughs> so the Babysitter Killer Queen does what a lot of sequels do. They take what worked in the first movie, they give you more of it, and then they also try to go bigger with it. And in this case, that doesn't that doesn't entirely work. But I also think it didn't entirely not work either, because I I really, really loved that first movie. And one of my favorite parts of that movie was the ensemble and how well some of them fit into the roles, especially when it came to the cult members, just yeah. how much fun they seem to be having in in those roles. And I think with their return here that that translates all over again. And I could watch that stuff nonstop. And when I say this movie goes too big, you know, often to a, to a fault where that does still work though, is with the gore and the action set pieces, everything's so absurd like they, they could go off the rails with that. And as long as it looks cool and has me going like, holy shit, whoa, like it's going to work. So in, in that department, it worked really well. I enjoyed some of the banter. There are a couple of moments where like stupid things happen, but I genuinely found myself laughing. <laughs> what is completely missing from this movie, though, is that 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 honest tenderness we had between Cole and B from the first movie. I mean, Cole does have some, some other supporting characters around him that he has relationships with. And I liked those to a degree, but it's nothing like what we got in that first movie. And just like the plausibility of the whole situation goes out the window. This is just like ludicrous, like nuts behavior and crazy things happening and, and literally like, like none of this is something that I would believe <laughs> just because you won't believe it doesn't mean you can't have fun watching it. And I think, you know, the fun factor is what pushed it into a just positive viewing experience for me. But you know, if you go into this one and expect something on the level of the first, you're going to be disappointed. And I also think for the folks out there who did not like the first and say that didn't work for them, don't go anywhere near this movie because <laughs> it is more of that and then some. Okay. I, I haven't caught up with it yet, but I'm I'm intrigued. I saw some pretty rough reviews. I think the oh, most positive I've heard about it. I see. I, you know, 
I was reading, I was reading those reviews and I understand where, I understand where a lot of those thoughts cut here. I, I have one non-spoiler example that I can bring up here. So the, a lot, I mean, a lot of the script doesn't make a lot of sense and there's a lot of coincidence and the kind of coincidence that really bothered me was so the premise of this movie is that it takes place two years after the events of the original and the thing is nobody believes cole that it actually happened because uh b and all her friends just their bodies vanish Mm -hmm. so they think he's making this up and so because he keeps insisting that it's that it's real. His parents decide they want to send him to a psychiatric academy. And one day he's going to school and he can't find his paper. Where's his paper? Oh, it's downstairs right underneath the psychiatric academy brochure with the time and day they're bringing him there. Really? Really? But, you know, if you want to tell me, like, Bella Thorne can do a flying leap off a rock face and all this crazy, like, like that stuff I'm fine with. That's that's where I draw the line. And that's where I'm not so hard on the movie. Because yeah. I think I'm not necessarily sure that it was a deliberate choice to get so ridiculous with it. But I do think the whole purpose of it is to be playful and absurd in many respects. And I don't know, that, that those were just, like, the lenses that I viewed the movie through, which is why I think some of those things do work, or at least I think they work more than many others do. Yeah, clearly. Uh, I, I'm going to watch it. I'm curious. And it I want to know what you think when you watch it. Easy to watch, which I don't mind these days. Mm-hmm. That it Speaking is. Of which, <laughs> uh, maybe the easiest thing I've watched in a while. This is a weird one for me to do a little quick review on on this show because it's not really horror, but it does have ghosts, so I'm sneaking it in, and you can you can just deal with it. <laughs> um, it's Netflix's new kid show, Julian the Phantoms, and it is super like Disney Channel vibes. It's from Kenny Ortega, and. I love Kenny Ortega's stuff. Like I haven't, I don't watch Descendants. I'm a little old now for that, but uh, you know, I grew up, not only we all grew up with his incredible choreography in like every movie, but Mm -hmm. uh, Hocus Pocus and uh, Newsies. He's just really gifted with hitting this pure tone and delivering really incredible choreography and music that gets you sucked in. And I find Julie and the Phantoms to be no different. It's a bit of a like, if Hocus Pocus and High School Musical had a really chipper baby, it's so lovely and fun. And the, the music is so freaking catchy. Um, like you will not have heard of the stars of this show, but the the main actress, Madison Reyes, is just, first of all, an unbelievable vocalist, but also so charming and sweet. And, you know, they're all very young. They're not going to be winning awards for this. But they they are so charismatic that you forgive some of the rougher edges of the performances. And it's just like the purest show I've seen in a really long time. Like everything that happens feels pulled from another universe where people are just nicer. Uh, the dad is an impossibly good father. And like the basic premise is Julie is a young girl who lost her love of music after her mother died. And she discovers these three teenage cute ghosts in her garage Mm -hmm. they were members of a band that was going to take off in the 90s but then they all died of bad hot dogs um and and when they play together the world can see them uh and they help her rediscover her love of music and it's just so sweet i think i might need to watch this yeah i really it made me so happy i just put it on i've had the screamers for a while now and i'll just throw them on in the background because a they make me feel good and b the songs are legit awesome is it out now yeah i think it came out yesterday okay okay i i feel like i feel like that might be a good reward after i finish all of my work (laughs) yeah it's very it's very easy watching uh don't try to like make sense of it the the rules of like how the ghosts work and stuff are completely <laughs> like no that's don't do that don't okay that. just enjoy it at face value um and there is like because it is so much about <laughs> these teenage boys who died there is this kind of undercurrent of sadness to it that pops out now and then but they handle it with a light touch there's a weird thing about like a, a club where you meet sort of the main antagonist of the show, played by Cheyenne Jackson, just thriving. Uh, and he has this 
sort of secret ghost society mm-hmm. that he's trying to recruit the boys to mm-hmm. where the wealthy can mingle with ghosts and glimpse the afterlife. And it's so accidentally one of the darkest things I've ever seen in a kid oh. show that like the rich can see the afterlife and that's just the thing that happens. Mm. Uh, but you got to not think about that stuff. Like okay. you just got to enjoy it on the surface, which is what it wants you to do. There are so many descriptors that you just mentioned where I'm like, what? Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> oh, but I really want to watch it now. It's one of the most unconvincing uses of Canada to double for Los Angeles I've ever seen. And it brings me relentless joy. Like Hollywood Boulevard looks like it could be a street in Gilmore Girls. It's so quaint. Okay. Very good. I'm going to keep an eye out for that. Hi. All right. Two reviews for you right there. Now, how about two trailers? Oh, yeah. Which one do you want to do first, Haley? You could pick. Hmm. Let's do Monsterland because I feel like I have less to say about that. Okay. Well, what do you have to say about it? <laughs> I was surprised by it. I uh, didn't expect it to look quite so grim and like super serious with the way they're approaching the horror. Uh, it is another trailer that was clearly influenced by the Ari Aster trailers and the use of music and heavy, low strings. Um, I read a couple of the short stories in the book that it's based on. I haven't mm-hmm. finished it, but I, I found them really impressive. I'm like really passionate about the short storytelling format anyway, because I feel like it's um, very much like anthology filmmaking. It's where talent can sort of flex their muscles without a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that the the two shorts I read were super good character work, really self-contained and would lend themselves to this kind of TV show. Absolutely. I did not expect it to be this dark based on reading it. Um, But I think I maybe just was thinking of Hulu's other original programming and how that's been sort of lighter, you know, uh, what I always get it wrong into the dark in the dark, into the dark. You mean the the Plumhouse uh, features? Yeah. 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 So this looks different, and I'm excited for it. What do you think? I don't think I really had very many expectations going in. Um, Is the is the book geared towards younger readers or? No, no. Um, I think maybe I brought a mental tonality into it, coming off of Noah Lulu's stuff. As you were describing, like your relation with the book, and and you know, uh, then moving over to the trailer, it, it was making me think back to scary stories to tell in the dark, like with oh. those short, sto- short stories and seeing those adapted. And I mean, in a sense, I, I would say, uh, scary stories to tell in the dark, the feature film does put a darker spin on that material. But with with this, I think one of the things that caught me most off guard was when it was revealed that it was Caitlin Deaver doing the uh, the voiceover and the narration. <laughs> like that, I, I I know her work well. I did not <laughs> see that coming. And this, this uh, ensemble here has so many people that, like, I've just been wanting to see even more of. I mean, I'll never argue with more Taylor Schilling, who's, I'm, I love um, Caitlin Deaver. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, Kelly Marie Tran, right? Isn't she? Kelly in Marie it? Tran is in it. And then um, Jonathan Tucker. That's the name I was oh, nice. trying yeah. to think of. And also, um, I'm really excited to see Roberta Calindra's too. I uh, I got to talk to her for a South By movie last year. And it was a South By movie that was like this, you know, itty bitty thing. It, it didn't really get out there very much. And, you know, it felt like a, a small film to me, but it was one of those examples of, you know, a film that I imagined didn't have all that much to work with, but they made the most of what they had. And I feel like her really natural screen presence in that really also took the whole production to another level. So I am excited for her. And I'm just excited. Like, I'm with you on short form storytelling. I'm, I'm really eager to see a series make the absolute most of it and you know based on what i've seen in this trailer i mean just as far as the ensemble goes and and also those visuals which were mighty striking across the board it feels like they they have something here and i i just i hope it meets my expectations same i was i was impressed by the trailer and surprised they've got a great lineup of directors too um uh creep too right no, my thing is, yeah, Creep 2. Um, shit. I closed the tab. 
<laughs> Desiree. Oh, Akavan. Yeah, I think you got it. I think you got it. But um, I was pumped to see to see her on the the roster there, and yeah. see what she brings to it. She's great, and she made um, shit. Bisexual was a show on Hulu. I think that was originally British. Uh, really strong six episode, thirty minute drama. Yeah, the bisexual. There we go. Uh, Two thousand eighteen show that I I really enjoyed. So I'm I'm definitely excited to see more from. I feel like it's not Friday if we don't have um, Friday Brain and forget okay. as many names and titles as humanly possible. I well, that's just my. I always have that brain, but absolutely, I'm Friday. <laughs> I definitely have it. All right, next one here. I am mighty excited for this one. So we got the trailer for Christopher Landon's new movie, Freaky. I, and I think I could speak for you on this, Haley. We are big, big fans of Christopher Landon and the Happy Death Day series. And I was mighty bummed when Happy Death Day to You didn't get the warm reception it deserved. Because, so... You know what I was saying with the babysitter killer queen, how it basically like took all the stuff that they liked for the first one and just went like, let's go bigger and yeah. didn't really earn going bigger. I feel like Christopher Landon took that core concept and put a really unique new spin on it and did it in a way that still felt connected to the original and being able to do both those things in one movie is not easy. So I really think he deserved more credit for that second movie, but He's got another one here. And this trailer did feel like like it felt like it could be a cousin to Happy Death Day. Like oh I would not be surprised if uh like Tree and Catherine Newton's characters could meet up at some point. And I wouldn't be opposed to that either. But like this to me just looks like Christopher Landon doing what he does best between, you know, finding an electric ensemble, the tone, you know, the the comedic bites to the trailer, and like even the pops of color. This feels so purely him, which gives me all of the faith in the world that he's gonna have another winner here yeah it looks uh i thought the same thing like whether just spiritually or if they eventually want to actually go plot in that direction it it does feel like a, a sibling or cousin film and likewise it has one of those premises where you're like well shit why didn't i think of that that's so obviously a good idea like freaky friday but one of them's a killer yeah, uh, it's so it's been it's just been waiting there all this time, I guess, for for the right person to snatch it up. And that would be Christopher Landon. And is, it, it, is it Blumhouse? I, yeah, I believe so. Okay. Didn't, isn't Turek involved, I think. Maybe. Um, <laughs> Maybe. It, it looks really good. It's the kind of uh, we haven't really seen Vince Vaughn play that kind of comedy role in a while, but we all know he's good at it. Um. I feel like the most we've seen that side of him and it's not even the same was fighting with my family where he got to be a little goofier and more charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, I adore that movie. It's so fun. I, I just, I like everything about that trailer pretty much. I, I worry a little bit about some of the extra quippy lines, but I have faith that that'll play a little less over the top when it's not all cut together for a trailer. Yeah. And also, you know, when you get stuff like that in the full context of a movie that's, you know, so tonally specific, it's going to play completely different. Yeah, I, I I had the same thought process. I think it's just when there's so many back to back in a two minute segment, um, it's it verges on being on the wrong side of cheeky. But it stayed just on the right side for me because I totally trust in Christopher Landon's tonal sensibilities. I hear you. Do you think it's going to stick on that release date? <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know when he knows anything. I, I guess I don't know. I don't know either. But you know, it's wrong about everything. I don't even make it. Guesses. I do feel like it's worth pointing out that let's say we're we're not ready to go back to the theater for like the biggest potential box office numbers by then. This does feel like the kind of movie that might capture a really big audience, maybe like a 2017 babysitter sized audience releasing it at home. I like, I'll, I'll tell you right now, if they were releasing this 
um, on a not even necessarily a streaming platform, e- either, you know, streaming or PVOD, like I would hands down be buying it over the weekend and watching it with my whole family. And absolutely, I bet we would have blast doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is like made for that kind of release in this context, whereas I understand why people want to hold on to their you know, new Saw movie and the Candyman's and the Halloween sequels for theatrical release. And this certainly could blow up theatrical the way that Happy Death Day did. It feels so primed to succeed uh, going into people's homes. Yeah. I mean, actually, I don't know, maybe maybe with like a like a bigger name like Vince Vaughn attached to it, it, like it could be that good balance of like a fresh thing. But then someone you recognize and might gravitate to. I don't know. No, I can see why they want to release it in theaters. I just guess yeah. we'll have to see what happens in the world. We yeah. are fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, apocalyptic in California. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've been very grateful that I've been on the East Coast. I hope everyone in California is staying safe and taking care of themselves right now. Ew, it's rough outside, folks. Like the air is shit. Yeah, yeah, I've been hearing. Um, I still keep in touch with some of the the folks that I was going to the gym with, and like they're they're saying that the air quality is not good enough to be working out outside. So they've actually switched back to Zoom classes again. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Mm. Well, in other not so happy news, a show got canceled. Well, <laughs> How about for a transition? I'm good with it. Let's go. Bye. The Walking Dead is officially coming to a close with season 11. So the plan is it's going to end after season 11, which will begin airing in late 2021. And then they also have that situation with um, season 10, which isn't even finished yet, but is going to return in early 2021. Give us six episodes. And then this last season is supposed to be an expanded 24 episode season. And that's going to be airing later in 2021. And then when all of that is said and done, even though The Walking Dead proper is over, we're getting a Daryl and Carol stop. <laughs> and apparently that is expected to launch in 2023, I believe. Although I can't find the date in my notes right now, but I'm pretty sure that's what it said. So that is the plan, or at least some of the plan for the future of The Walking Dead, because there's a lot more going on. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. They got that new spinoff coming in October. That I liked the trailer for that. The one with the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I want to say. I'm I'm intrigued. I wonder about all of these things. Uh, and maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe, you know, obviously people loved this show for so many seasons. Uh, but like, it's the same thing that I worry that the same thing will happen that happened to Fear the Walking Dead, which is how does it not just become the Walking Dead? Like, I worry. I worry about that part of it. But I also worry that as they continue to expand, they're actually narrowing their audience. Because even though I did get through the majority of The Walking Dead, I never kept up with Fear of the Walking Dead. And now, you know, they're, even though I know this isn't necessarily the case, and I'm sure they're developing these series to stand on their own two feet, part of me feels like, well, what's the point in jumping in? I, like, I'm a completist. I don't know everything. And it... I can see that thought process maybe pushing some away from exploring a new series. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I like, I checked out a while ago. I keep up with what's happening. Mm-hmm. I put so many years into it. Um, but half the time when I read those recaps, I'm like, okay, I only know these characters by name because I read the comics. I cannot contextualize mm-hmm. them in the sense of the show. Uh, and it just, I, I think you might be onto something because I don't, like a Carol and Daryl spinoff probably isn't going to get me back. And I don't know if it's going to keep my mom who like never stopped watching, you know? I mean, I don't want to be so negative and take away from anyone's excitement about all the upcoming stuff that they have planned. But I feel like the key to getting me back would be to, in a sense, I'm not saying retcon everything, but wipe the slate clean and give me the feeling like, I'm getting a fresh start and like, I'm not missing anything if I'm getting in on the ground level. I think that's sense. what is kind of exciting about the world beyond is it does feel like sort yeah. of a fresh start. And I mean, who knows where they're going to take the, the 
rest of this season and then the extra long final season. But there are ways that you can do that. And like, you know, what if this is just a random poorly thought out idea, but like, let's say Carol and Daryl wind up in some sort of underground post-apocalyptic society now that's a completely different world from anything we knew before. Do you isolate all your fans by doing that? Do you invite more people in by resetting the slate? I don't know, but it's an interesting idea that they could, you know, there are ways to make it not the same show. I will tell you that made it more intriguing to me than anything I was envisioning above ground for what that's worth. (laughs) So yeah, we'll keep up with walking with Walking Dead and see what happens. I will tell you though, reading 24 episodes for season 11 was also like a turnoff to me. <laughs> Cause it's a lot more episodes. There's <laughs> a lot of walking dead to get through. I mean, I think the big takeaway of all of this for me is way to go, Melissa McBride. Yeah, like, really. You like, you built a small role that nobody liked into one of the icons of the show. That and that is something that like really needs to be emphasized because yeah. she she I mean she kind of did the impossible. How many times do you see a character start off like that in season one and get pushed aside and written out? But like like she really took what was on the page, made it her own, brought it to another level, and freaking like captured the attention of everyone out there watching at the time this hit show. It's really awesome. And it's yeah. like so de- deserved after a career of playing oh that actor roles yeah i know that actor good for her and she, i think that's the most exciting part of this news is just like how happy i am for her i mean i'm happy for norman Reedus too but he was you know he was front and center right from the beginning he was doing fine yeah he yeah. was a boondock saint yeah exactly people knew who he was she was just like probably most people knew her face just because of the mist and and how that character really fucks you up at the end of the mist that is for sure (laughs) all right from one news story on to another i i feel like this i'm just saying it because it was next on my list and now i'm really excited because i pulled up the news scream five Woo! so i'm going to further emphasize the headline of this witching hour can this cast get any better? I am going to give... Wait, what? Unlikely. Unlikely. <laughs> so good. I, I'm not even going to say unlikely. I'm going to say no. <laughs> this feels like such a full ensemble to me. I can't believe the people that they got. I was, I was fairly... Even though it's a big property, I was fairly convinced we were going to wind up with the big three back again. And then a whole bunch of people I wasn't so familiar with, which isn't a, a bad thing by any means. I mean, I, I love discovering new talent, but to see some other young actors who, who I freaking adore and think are hugely talented join my second favorite film franchise of all time. I am bursting at the seams with excitement right now. And I just love, sorry, I'm going to like ramble right now. I love the fact that I am very excited about Nev Campbell's return, but I am very impressed that the casting department has had, has managed to get me this excited about the new folks. Like when you're bringing back the centerpiece of the entire franchise, like the fact that my excitement is on the same level, like, Big applause to you. It's more than anything made me really curious about their approach and what characters they're building. I mean, Scream has always been an ensemble-driven franchise, Mm -hmm. but this is so many good names. (laughs) Like, how big is this ensemble? I mean, I know they're, like, all going to die, but, like, how... This is a lot uh, of really talented people to work through in a slasher film, and... Uh, I'm just so excited. It's like a ridiculous, all the things that excite me. I'm really stoked that Marley Shelton is coming back. I mean, oh, am I? I, love, I love Deputy Hicks. We've talked about how she has no like business playing the role the way she does in the third film or, or the fourth film. It totally doesn't matter at all. And I don't care. I love it anyway. <laughs> She's uh, someone who I feel like doesn't ever get the credit she deserves. 100% true. I, I enjoy her in quite a bit. I feel like she she's one of those actresses who like got um, 
put in the wrong category because she has like leading woman face, but she makes weirder films. I don't know. I just feel like people don't know what to do with her as much. Huh. Um, and you know and what that makes me want to do? What? That makes me when Scream 5 comes out to try to get her on a, an episode of Ladies Night. Yes, please. I would love to discuss that. She's wonderful. What the, her, oh, my description. Her, her performance in Planet Terror, I think, is also so underrated. It, it's like, it asks so much of her for such a silly film. That it does. I was mighty obsessed with Sugar and Spice. Yes. I thought that movie was the shit. No, I just, I think she's the best. I'm so excited she's coming back. And I, I hope, you know, she, she gets her lemon squares. Yes. And, um, I also have to highlight, I, I am so fucking thrilled about Kyle Gallner. I knew you were saying that. I knew oh, that you were so like I'm I'm happy that my brand as a Kyle Gallner fan is big enough that three people messaged me to be like, did you do this? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very a lovely intersection of things that I adore. Yeah, and, I'm, uh, I'm definitely team Kyle Gallner. Give me give me just like anything that he works on at this point. Yes, and especially after seeing him in Dinner in America, in which he is truly. Truly incredible and demonstrates so very much that we do not give him the roles he deserves. Now, I don't think that probably he's going to be like a lead here. He's a little out of the age range for probably what they're going to bracket Scream's new ensemble around. But I'm excited to see what he does with it. And he's always been one of those actors who like pops up in horror movies and does something awesome. Yeah. I mean, because like even when you go back and look at his role in Jennifer's Body, it wasn't the biggest role ever, but he certainly made the most of it. Love Colin. I'm I'm gonna place a bet that he winds up being like a number three to Dewey Hicks, and then he is in in the deputy field. That was my guess too. Which which would be kind of funny because then he would be following in Adam Brody's footsteps <laughs> from Jennifer's body, and I'm playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon right now. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing that happen. I'm also hugely excited for Dylan Minnette to be in this cast. I have a feel I have a feeling like the main ensemble is probably like like Kyle will be in the middle and then the younger ensemble will be uh Jenna Ortega, who's also in uh the babysitter uh killer queen. Oh. It does not make the most of how good she is, but she's in it and she she does well with the material she gets. But I think I think she is going to be like probably one of the big, one of the biggest breakout stars of this movie if not from something else before yeah, yeah we talked about that briefly because we both loved her on you right yes um and also i mean like we're all watching the boys right now jack wait hell yeah i mean that's an older news but this just it's a really good cast i don't know what to say it's just a really good cast like well, you know like jack quaid can play older too totally like, he could probably be, like, in the police department. Why am I'm just, like, casting everybody who isn't, like, the OGs or, like, little babies in, in the police department. I think that's what makes sense, right? Like, that's, that's the right. one we know that probably has adult roles. But then you think about, like, the role Allison Brie played. There's yeah, yeah. all kinds of random ways for people to be worked in. My my brain is going, like, a mile a minute right now. I'm not going to... fighting. You just don't know, like, the, every new casting makes me realize how little I know about what direction they're going to take, where we're going to pick up with the characters, and yeah. the, the mind wanders. The The only thing that feels like a sure thing to me is that, it, like, high school's involved, and at least, like, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer, but at least that gives you, like, a sense of, of atmosphere and setting, or or at least just, like, one simple thing to definitely ground the film in, yeah. because otherwise, why would they... Why would they cast people this age? But <laughs> another one that I'm really pumped about is uh, Mason Gooding from Booksmart because I love Booksmart and I oh. want to I want to see good things for that entire ensemble. And I am glad to see some of those supporting names pop up in other movies right now. There's just a lot of good here. Jasmine Savoy Brown, I I know from The Leftovers, but like I I really have no complaints so far. Well done, team. Can't wait. This is all helping also with that heartbreaking, like they wanted Samara, but the timing didn't work out situation. 
that helps. I mean, that helps me recover from that blow. I mean, it's a, it's it's almost like I can't even look at that as that big of a blow because it means it means she's busy with other things. No, that's a very positive spin on it. But like, I, it is definitely a blow to me to be like, man, she could have been in a scream movie. That's a perfect fit. That's fair. That's fair, but then I see what she did with the babysitter and Ready or Not, and I'm like, all right, you know, like, you, you don't need Scream. Like, I love Scream, but you're yeah. going to keep building more franchises. She is. I, I've said it a million times, and I'll say it until it comes true. That woman is headed straight into a superhero suit one day. Oh, my God. Without a doubt. I would definitely bet on that. All right. Where are we at here? Rob Savage next? Yeah. Sweet. So, Rob Savage... The director of Host, which was phenomenal, and uh, guest on a recent episode of The Witching Hour. Lovely guest. He just scored a major, major deal. He's got a three-picture deal with Blumhouse. How incredible is that? You go into, like, this really, like, devastating situation where our industry is being rocked to the core and you get creative and deliver something fantastic in the middle of all this mess and, like, you give your career just, I mean, an astronomical boost. I am so happy for him. Host is so good. I feel like he deserves something like this, and I am absolutely in awe by how he took the initiative to get all this done and is now being rewarded for it. It is my, I just love it so much, especially as we discussed when he was on, like, it was such a rebuke to all the naysaying, nobody wants to see movies like this, nobody wants to see a Zoom horror movie, and instead of just being a naysayer, he just went and made something good, and now he's made, like, a whole career move. It makes me so happy. Do what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. Be creative. Don't be negative. There's no point. You know who didn't get a career move out of this? All the people who were being negative online. He went and did something productive, and I fucking rules i love that um and i liked in this press release jason blum said when i got a look at host i saw the inventiveness and his work that ryan turk on the blumhouse team had been championing championing and this is something i really like it's like that blumhouse is smart in their hiring and anyone who's been like a big horror nerd for a long time knows turk from when he was mm-hmm. Ryan and did shock to you drop and you know they're listening to the right people there. And I think it really shows, you know, not every Blumhouse movie is a winner. Yeah. So smart about not just listening to industry trends, but also listening to people who really know and love the genre. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do like that. There are some other members of the host team that are, that are a part of this deal. Yeah. His producer, Douglas Cox, writers, Jed Shepard and Gemma Hurley, and editor, uh, Brenna Rangott. I'm not sure if I pronounced that properly, but I don't know. I I mean, this might just be me judging him off of one hour-long conversation, but like, he seemed like a cool dude who likes, who's really passionate about the movies he makes, likes to have fun, and really respects the other members of his team. So I just like seeing some of this team stay intact moving forward. And I really do hope he brings some of the, uh, the host cast members with him too, because a lot of them have had longstanding working relationships. So I would bet we're going to see some of them pop up in these movies. And, you know, I wouldn't see them. I wouldn't mind seeing them have like even bigger vehicles to kind of power them to start them right now. Yeah. As well, they should, they all really stood out in their own way, which is not always the case in an ensemble that's made in like, no time at all for no money. On a- <laughs> or, or, or even in an ensemble film that's made with all the money in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Bye. All um, right. Super exciting. And I like, uh, I don't know. I just like the spirit of not wasting time and the spirit of working with the people you know and trust. I feel like that's just like through the whole press release, the whole production of host, the making of this deal, it just feels like a lot of people trusting the people they believe in and making creative stuff out of it. And yeah. I love to see it. Yeah. This is, this is inspiring stuff here. And like now as Savage's team grows, I feel like Blumhouse is probably the perfect partner for him. Yeah. All right. I'm going to leave this next one in your hands because I think, 
I think you're more into it than I am. Sure. Flanagan. I love Flanagan. I don't want to make it sound like I'm not a fan of Mike Flanagan or a fan of Stephen King, because I most certainly am. But, like, you know The Dark Tower better than I do. Harry hates The Haunting of Hill House. It's on the record. I've only watched it three times. Yeah, obviously untrue. Uh, Yes, Flanagan. Mike Flanagan was asked during a Fantasia panel what other Stephen King property he would like to work on. And like any true Stephen King nerd, he kind of suggested that the Dark Tower is something of the Holy Grail, which is factually true. It's impossible. I don't know how anyone would do it, but that's kind of what Flanagan does is he takes impossible Stephen King adaptations and makes them work somehow. Um, His quote is, I've got the answer that most Stephen King fans are going to have. Oh, asked again about his dream Stephen King project. I've got the answer that most Stephen King fans are going to have. The Dark Tower is forever going to be the story I wish I could tell. That would be the Holy Grail. Oh, he literally said the Holy Grail. (laughs) I mean, talk about an adaptation challenge. So many very talented people have poured so much time and heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears trying to crack that. That for me would be the one. I don't know how that would happen or if it could happen. That property is daunting. Just to even think about first thing, taking the first steps toward it. Yeah. Um, so really, truly of all, like the impossible adaptations, that is seemingly the most impossible. Like, I don't even know how you approach a work of that magnitude, uh, trying to condense it enough without betraying the magnitude of it I, it's very like it's a whole universe and I know a lot of stories are but it's like I mean it's not just the universe of the dark tower it's like mm-hmm. every universe Stephen King has ever created in one what do you, how how I don't have the answer to that and that's why I'm not a filmmaker like Mike Flanagan mm-hmm. but what what gives me what gives me confidence in him is I feel like anytime he makes a movie and you know I'm not saying he knocks it out of the park every single time but most of his movies are at a certain level or above and I think that in every single one of his movies you could feel his passion for what he's doing and for genre and his understanding of it so you know I'm not I'm not gu- going to guarantee you right now that he's got the key to the dark tower adaptation everybody wants and deserves but right. if if I were to put my money on anybody coming close to pulling it off, it would probably be Mike Flanagan over many other filmmakers out there. I would have to agree. It's an interesting one too, because it is not the most sentimental of Stephen King's work. And really um, Flanagan has a gift for that element of Stephen King. True. To make the heart, the softness that, that exists within it. But, like, it can be very uh, mean and dark and uh, unforgiving as a story. The thing mm-hmm. that, especially the first book, like, when you read the first book and you get to the end, you're like, what? That is so unkind, Stephen. Uh, it, it's, I don't even know. It's like, you can't sum it up, That which is why it's the, the unthinkable adaptation. And Lord knows last time they tried that didn't go so hot. Trying so hard to get back to my book reading, but it's not happening. <laughs> I need to be forced to go in a car. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> no, it's just a difficult time. I have not been reading as much as I would like. Well, but you're still you're still beating me at it. We do what we can. I know, I know. But, but I want to do everything all the time. Like that's what that's a big commitment, but it is worth getting into because it is one of like the most satisfying genre literary experiences that will take you very long time to get through but be worth it so i've heard i've i mean your endorsement means a lot and i've also i've heard that from countless stephen king fans so i know this is a top priority so our last thing here i will say like i think it's better that you didn't start there because it does because so many of the universes are connected through it it does uh mean more when you know the, the what they're referring to that's a good point. Yeah. Dewey was just in the background emphasizing your point. He was agreeing with you. Here, here. <laughs> so our last our last item on the agenda today is the Netflix and Chills 2020 schedule. <laughs> how do you how do you want me to do this, Haley? Should I just run through them and we can chime in as I go along? 
I, I mean, some of them I feel like we probably don't need to discuss. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't need to discuss this first one because September 10th, the babysitter killer queen is out now. You know my thoughts on it. If you think what I said suits your taste, go watch it. And if it doesn't, don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> One way or the other, you should watch my interview with Judah Lewis and Emily uh, Allen Lynn because they're delightful. And we talked a little bit about Dr. Sleep. <laughs> nice. Um, the next thing I see here is the paramedic. Do you know much about the paramedic that is available on September 16th? So what's interesting about this year's lineup is a lot of it seems to be international films uh, yes. and series that I am not super familiar with, which is uh, exciting because they could be like breakout surprises. Um, this is a short synopsis. I don't mind reading it. After an accident leaves him confined to a wheelchair and wallowing in depression, unable to face his new life, Angel decides to, uh, now I can't read, to to channel his rage, getting even with those who, in his eyes, have betrayed him, particularly the woman who left him when he needed her the most. I love when I'm reading something, and you know when, like, an ad refreshes, and it, like, jumps away. It jumped oh, yeah. away. But now I'm back. And the next thing on the list is Ratchet, which comes out September 18th. It's the latest Ryan Murphy thing. <laughs> like his crazy world that he builds. It stars Sarah Paulson. And we will leave this one alone for the time being until we are able to discuss it more freely. Now we have The Binding. <laughs> That's my, my movie trailer voice. Ooh. Here's another one that I don't know much about. So I will give you the synopsis. While visiting her fiancé's mother in southern Italy, a woman must fight the mysterious and malevolent curse intent on claiming her daughter. Sure. Okay. I don't know I don't know what's super unique about that based on, on that, but it is a one-sentence synopsis. That's what I was just going to say. That's one of those log lines that's, like, entirely dependent on how it's executed. Yeah. October 2nd, we'll find out. Yeah. How about this one? Vampires versus the Bronx. I have never heard of it, but I, I love the I feel like the title says it all, right? I know. The title and and like it's got a it's got a catchy an eye-catching image here, but I will still give you the one sentence synopsis. Okay. Guess what this is about? A group of young uh vampire friends from the Bronx fight to save their neighborhood from a band of vampires. So it's like Vampires versus the Bronx. Is that right? It's vampire. Yeah. Like they are the Bronx (laughs) and they're trying to beat the vampires, which is why it's called vampires versus the Bronx. The Bronx. Sure. I like it. It's got like an attack the block kind of vibe set up. Yeah, a little confusing, but I could get into it. <laughs> I'm definitely going to watch this. It's October yeah. 2nd. <laughs> what else do we have here? And random, produced by Lauren Michaels. Didn't see that coming. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, here's the Adam Sandler one. Hubie? Is that what it is? Hubie Halloween. October sure. 7th. I'm not going to read the synopsis. You guys probably watched the trailer, right? Yeah. <laughs> we have- Did you watch it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's an Adam Sandler Netflix movie that gets a that has a sort of uh, ceiling on my my anticipation to a certain extent because they have not been like knockouts. But I'm always hopeful for a new wonderful Halloween comedy. I have one question: Is there anything about the trailer that suggests that it's better than some of the Netflix Sandler collaborations? I was more interested, but I don't know if it's just because of Halloween. <laughs> like, I, it looked, it's a, yeah. it didn't look quite as straight up goofy as maybe I expected. Okay. All right. I'm curious. Now we have, ooh, we got a big one. On October 9th, that's when we're getting the haunting of Bly Manor. Flanagan fans, surprise, we're excited. <laughs> so much of the cast is coming back. I can't freaking wait. Yeah. Man, this is a, this is a, most anticipated of the year for me right here. I, I'm so excited. I Again, like if there's one thing Flanagan does well, it's like really get to the heart of things. And I always think the best ghost stories are, are the ones with a lot of sadness in them, which, is, you know, The Haunting of Hill House is a yeah, great yeah. example of. So I'm so excited. And, and he, you know, he's been very open that he did not take this one all on himself. There's a lot of creative talent in new creative talent in there behind the scenes. So I'm, I'm interested to see what 
different filmmakers bring to the equation. Next up, we have another one with babysitter in the title. A babysitter's guide to monster hunting. Sure. Not reading this one because this is a paragraph, but I like I like the image. Like I like the look. I, I like Luna Lawrence. I think she's real good. And this one has India Moore in it, who I freaking love from uh uh Pose. And then Tom Felton. I'll take some Tom Felton. This looks like it could be cute and fun. And directed by I'm gonna get her name wrong. I cannot I don't know how you say it. Rachel Talale Talale. Tale- oh. Um Tank Girl director who also directed Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which I think is fun. You know, it's after this. The Ben Wheatley Rebecca. Oh yeah. October twenty-first. Let's see. Uh yeah. I'm I'm into it. I'm excited. I don't know how I'm gonna feel about it, but I wanna watch it. It looks the all the imagery looks amazing. Ben Wheatley does weird stuff. Um yeah. and I you know, he's been very clear that like he's adapting the original material, not trying to redo Hitchcock in any way, which is wise. Um, I don't, I'm really, I don't even know, like, this is one of those ones where you go like, okay, that material with Wheatley's brain. Yeah. It's like, I'm super excited about it, but I can't be like, like this thing could be everything because I I don't know, like his, his movies either like work for me or they don't. And when they don't, they really don't. And I hope that's not the case with this one. I, I do think that Lily James is really underrated and one of our better young actress in the the business. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that she just keeps taking roles that don't like uh, l- lend themselves to getting the kind of credit she deserves. So something like Cinderella or uh, Mamma Mia 2, those aren't like awards roles, but yeah. both of them are very hard to get right. Yeah. I really do think it's only a matter of time before she winds up in the awards conversation for something. Mm-hmm. This next one, October 22nd, a movie called Cadaver. This is another one that I don't know anything about, but just to get it on people's radar i'll read a little here cadaver is a norwegian psychological horror film that takes us on a journey where humanity is being put to a test and star and stars among other they're talking about stars i want i want more about the the plot in the in the starving aftermath of a nuclear disaster you know a whole bunch of people are on the edge of survival sorry guys i'm skimming here one day the local hotel invites survivors to attend a theater play with a meal included as a charitable effort to help those in need left with no choice. The family of three decide to go to the hotel where the director introduces the entire hotel as the stage. All right. I'm in, I'm in attendees are given masks to help separate them from actors, but the play takes an eerie turn when the audience members start to disappear. The line between reality and theater quickly gets blurred until Alice disappears in front of, Leo and Jacob, and there's no longer room for doubt. Something is very wrong in the hotel. Hmm. I think I need to like reread that privately to really picture what I just read. That was like the opposite of that other log line where you're like, well, that sounds like too many movies. You're like, well, that's way too specific. I want the other direction, but I feel like there's some like little nuggets that have me intrigued there. Guess what the next one is? I feel like I've said this to you every time, but this one's really important because you can guess it. I can? Sense the, like, the enthusiasm in my voice right now and how excited I am that the world is going to see this movie. Is it his house? Yes, it's his house. (laughs) His house. Remy Weeks' feature directorial debut with one of my absolute favorites, Wimmy Masaku, and saw this movie at Sundance. I got to talk to, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. I studied it so hard that day. And when we said it to me in our last interview, it's not, it's not pronounced like it's spelled. I know that, but just so you guys can like, at least look it up phonetically. Sope Derisu. Oh, that's, it's so wrong. And like, I know it's wrong, but the two of them are like, next level good in this movie and just the the whole the whole idea behind it is a prime example of taking the horror genre to get at some like very real horrors that this world struggles with and shouldn't so i cannot recommend this enough i have such high hopes that 
this could be one of the big breakouts of the Halloween season horror wise. And I, I think this is also one of those movies that could like transcend the horror community. Like it's going to go beyond it. And I feel like other people are going to discover it and it's going to become like a very hot movie. I'm excited to see it. You've done nothing but praise it since Sundance. High expectations and who doesn't love one me? Also, I, I do, I mean, like, no shade, but a little shade. Like, Netflix acquisitions tend to be better than Netflix originals. Well, they, this was a smart, smart play for them. And I'm, I'm glad they picked it up, too, because, you know, as much as I want to see movies get theatrical releases, like, pandemic or not, I do think that, you know, certain movies become more uh, accessible when they're on a platform like Netflix. And I'm happy that this one has, like, the widest possible audience kind of, like, at its fingertips, so to speak. We have one more. Here's another one I know nothing about. It's also an October 30th release. It's called The Day of the Lord. Okay. Um, Menendez is a retired uh, priest who lives in his dark and ruinous apartment, turning his back on the world. He suffers from a crisis of faith and is haunted by horrible nightmares and acts of his past that torture him. One day he receives the visit from Sebastian, an old friend who knows Menendez's past business. He claims his daughter is possessed by the devil and begs for Menendez's help to exercise her, although he's well aware of the aggressive methods the priest uses. Pushed by Sebastian's I, yeah, I like your face. <laughs> I love watching you judge this as I read it. Directions. One more little bit. Pushed by Sebastian's insistent and his inner conflict, Menendez takes this case as a chance for redemption. He has a new goal in life, but is she really possessed or will she suffer a senseless torture? Sounds like. <laughs> yeah, no, this is an easy breezy. Nice to be Halloween. <laughs> Um, I'm glad we got through all that and got to highlight everything though. Cause like, that's a, that's like a hefty schedule Netflix just gave everybody for the season. It really is. And I'm, I'm grateful for it because, uh, as we've discussed, we probably won't be, uh, going to theaters here in America. So that is exciting to have content and things to get excited about with your friends as spooky season is underway. Uh, especially I'm not, I am, I'm excited about the ones I don't know anything about. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Also because Netflix in particular is such a good track record with that stuff. Yeah. It's like, you know, like being in the U S I'm, I'm way more like in tune with the big Hollywood releases coming up. And sometimes, you know, um, international features get lost in the mix, but I feel like when I'm scrolling through the Netflix, like a genre uh, menu, which for me is usually the horror menu. I am more inclined to click on something that I don't know much about because it's got a catchy title, an image, maybe a one sentence logline, and you know, push play on something I might not have experienced otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, also, I don't know, I just like after last year, was it last year? Has it been two years? It's been two years since we had Haunting of Hill House, right? Yeah, two years. Last year. This year just disappeared. Uh, That was such a freaking fun experience during the Halloween season to like Mm -hmm. obsessed with all my friends and all of Twitter over and really just scare the pants off of yourself over and over again. I I could use that. I'm I'm really come through Bly Manor. Come through. Uh, Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, Well, at least in the meantime, while we wait for some of this stuff. Haley and I can keep you busy with lots of spooky content. Like next week's Witching Hour, we have uh, the directing duo behind Antebellum coming on the show, and they're going to talk to us about their journey and making the film. So you got that to look forward to. And Haley, what do you got cooking on Collider.com? Oh, Collider.com. Gee. Uh, well, we are starting to put all the Halloween stuff into the works. So I would keep an eye out, uh, you know, if you're if you're looking for recommendations for Halloween movies to get you in the spirit. We definitely got that content coming up. I uh, have an interview with Dan Levy posting this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's favorite. He's a, he's a doll. And yeah, you can otherwise keep up with me on Twitter at Haley Fouch, Instagram, Haystack McGroovy. I am at P. Nemiroff on Twitter and Instagram. I've got lots of TIFF stuff for you. Go watch the babysitter interview. 
I'm, I got so much, like, I can't even keep it all straight. Um, check out my interview with Jessica Barden, who is, like, a freaking delight and one of the coolest humans. And it was just, like, a real great conversation. And I feel like, uh, you know, I think you should check out her new movie, Holler, when it comes out. Because it is, it, it's, like, real good. And she's real good in it. But whether or not you intend to, just go listen to her talk, because she's super cool. Um and I'll do a little uh, shameless plug for a certain episode of the Merry Hour tonight, which might have some filmmakers you guys know. This filmmakers oh. might have been on the Witching Hour. H- has Matt told you about this, Haley? No. We're playing uh, uh, Justin and Aaron. Oh, that's great. Oh, and I totally forgot they, uh, they announced that Synchronic is coming yeah. out in October today. Yeah, so that's so I saw their post about that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if they're watching this, guys, I like your movie. Your movies, I like all your movies. But that doesn't mean I'm going easy on you in beer pong. We are going to wreck you. That's fun. You guys will have a blast. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. All right, guys, that's it. You have officially survived a witching hour. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify.